Hi, Eric. Hello, Jay. Hey, man. Well, for this last episode now in season one of Object Episode podcast, which could be the last season ever, too. Who knows? I hope not. Let's see. Yeah, let's see. Maybe we get some more stuff to talk about next year. But hey, before we get there, I got one more thing I want to talk about. And that's that's one of my I'd say one of my most favorite things ever. And that's performing juggling. I think that's what I love uh, most with juggling is, is performing juggling. And, and that's the aspect of juggling I'm most interested in. And so, uh, well, one thing just to say, I mean, I, I feel compelled to say this, is that one conversation we've had before is that jugglers in general tend to be interested in the kind of juggling that they themselves do. Right. So if you get uh, if we go back to these kind of generalizations in the culture, you get a numbers juggler. More likely than not, the kind of juggling they like to watch and participate in and everything is, well, numbers juggling. <laughs> right. And sometimes you get these kind of warring factions <laughs> inside of the, the subculture where it's like the. the yeah, you, you know, you get the people who go to the gym during the public show and they want to pass clubs because performing juggling is not anything that they're interested in or that they do or that they want to see. And I always thought it was a little bit, I, I have to say my relationship to this aspect of juggling was always a little bit uh, strained because I looked at it like, again, I didn't, I couldn't, I, looking back on it, it's much more clear, but at the time, you know, growing up, it was like, well, I'm a human being first. I'm a person. And as a person, you have all ranges of emotions and and things that you that you like to to see. You like to laugh. You like to cry or whatever. You know, you can feel happy. You can feel sad. You can you can be in different. You can think of something that's very cerebral, or you can think of something that's just like mindless and it's fun and whatever. Um, and so, kind of applying that with juggling, I was always like, oh well, I like to. Personally, I just like to see lots of different things. I'm interested in juggling as a whole. And I think maybe I found out later on that that was uh, not a universally shared quality. <laughs> I mean, if I'm going to respond to that, uh, maybe it re requires further specification because I'm generally, if you would just say, like, what do you think about performing juggling? I'm very indifferent to that because I, to me, it doesn't have a quality in itself whether I'm doing it myself or if I'm watching juggling being performed because I could because I could also say like I hate performing juggling because if it's terrible if it's worthless and if it's okay if I'm there just suffering when I'm watching it I, I hate that like doing it myself I I don't like watching it when it's like that so for me it's like performing juggling in itself, that's just an indifferent. I'm just indifferent to it as a thing. It's like food. Well, yeah, I love food if it tastes good, but if it tastes terrible, like I don't like it at all. Oh, hey man, I, I was gonna say this for later, but you had to go there immediately. So we talking about the genre of good here. So I guess <laughs> now you gotta explain that. <laughs> okay. That's your fault. Okay, so the genre of good that was something I said to you at some point because you were talking about if I had seen. <laughs> I think you were upset because I hadn't seen some show or yeah, something. Probably. I wasn't paying attention to what was going on in the circus scene. Yeah, say. man. You got to yeah. keep up. You got to be informed. And then I said that I'm not interested in any specific 
artistic field. I'm interested in the genre of good. I'm interested <laughs> in the things that have quality, that I find have quality, that I find interesting, and that I find, you know, right. inspiring. Uh, I don't know. Of course, I'm interested in juggling more than I'm interested in stamp collecting. So I, I, I was poking at you a little bit. Sure. But I do, there's, part, part of me is serious when I say that, that I'm interested in, in the well, like, genre of good. Like, I'm interested in things that are good specifically, whatever category they belong into, that's that's secondary to me. Well, it is in the world that we live in. It is, it is post-media. It is post-discipline. It's if it's good, it's good. If it's bad, it's bad. And, and this idea of, you know, people, there's all those stereotypes. Getting back to the idea of juggling too, of saying, well, people hate juggling. I can't call myself a juggler because people hate juggling. Or people hate mimes. People hate poetry. People hate performance art. Yeah. All these stereotypes. And it's like, well, in the end, um, no, people hate stuff that's bad and they like stuff that's good. I mean, look at Billy the Mime. He's a very famous mime um, that people love. Well, do they hate mime? No. I mean, Billy does it in a way that they, they like. So therefore, do you hate mime? No, you, you like it when it's good. And that's what I took from your comment, this genre of good. And I think maybe you said it as kind of a little joke to me, but it, when you actually look around the world, I think it is more relevant than ever in today's society, not just juggling, but culture in general or society, society in general. We, we are kind of, again, post-discipline or post-whatever, uh, and, it, and it is just a genre of good. I don't think it's just a joke. I think it actually does exist, this idea that, that if it's good, it's valid, and if it's and actually, I, I, I took this farther. Um, I mean, I wanted to talk about performing juggling. So I, I took your idea of genre of good and I started to apply it to uh, when I was creating shows a couple of years ago. And now I use it all the time. Whereas I, I kind of extended this idea or modified it or whatever, incorporated it. And then this idea that when we're making something, like right now, I mean, you were making a new show together, right? We have a premiere in a couple months. And... As part of that process, I, I just say, I just have a new rule with myself where I say, okay, if something is good, it's in the show. And if something's bad, well, it's not in the show. And it's not, it's not harder than that. It's not, it's for me, I, I mean, I know we're, we're skipping a lot of context here and it's, it's hard to know exactly what I'm talking about. But what I mean is before I would always try to navigate like the expectations that I had or the expectations the audience had or okay, what should I do? What shouldn't I do politically or artistically or whatever quality? And I kind of was liberated when you invented genre of good. And a couple of years ago, I really started to apply it to creating shows myself. So when I'm in the studio and I make something, I can just say to myself, wait a second, is this good or not? Regardless if it should be good or it should be bad, Right, because you're you're make, maybe you're making a show with a certain theme or a certain there's a parameter you have to meet or like I said these expectations and you go well in theory if I juggle like this that should be good but no 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 what's the reality is it good right. and I found that to be so liberating and it's so it's been so nice and it helped fix um, one aspect of my I don't know if it's a aspect of my personality uh, so much to myself or if it's a human a thing about human nature. But I found myself, um, like when I made the, I made the How to Welcome the Alien show with Eric Langekel, and I remember we initially met and had some, 
we, we practiced together and did some creation on the show for about a week. And we had come up with about 75, let's say 75 images or something for the show. Images being, you know, maybe a certain way to juggle balls could be one image. Or a certain prop would be another image. Like, let's take some sticks together in a certain way. That's an image. That's what I mean here. 75 concepts, 75 ideas, whatever you want to say. 75 images. And I remember um, that we had these... We had kind of... We created this list of things that we discovered or created in rehearsal. So the next time we met, we went down through those things and we started to think about this show... Because, of course, those ideas came from the theme of the show as well. But it was also, you know, in a creation, ideas come from many different places. Sometimes they come from no clear place. They just pop into existence or whatever. I mean, it's an, it's an open... The beginning of the process is open. It's wide. And then it narrows down. You edit down that material. At least in this, this is what we were doing at this time, right? So we meet the next time and we go over this list of, of images we made. And we start to think a little bit deeper. Like, how could they be more connected? Or how could it serve the theme better? And all this that. And I think in the end, we had something like, I don't know, 18 or 20 or 22 of these ideas that were just like totally working and totally in line with each other. And you could start to see something forming and it was really fun, right? And in, 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 my instinct was to the next day, because that was the first day of rehearsal back after taking a break. The next day of rehearsal, I woke up and I was like, all right, let's fix those 50 images that didn't work really and and then i ha and then i thought wait a second genre of good genre of good <laughs> no but seriously this is totally true and i said no wait a second i'm so stupid i had 20 images or whatever around 20 images that were amazing that fit perfectly that was exactly what we want to work on why am i spending my time stressing out over these 50 images that didn't work i have 20 that did work that's incredible I mean, it's really good. And shouldn't I invest my time and energy to strengthen and deepen those successful ideas rather than to kind of stress out and worry about the other ideas that didn't work? And so I really <laughs> took this genre of good. And now we're doing this show creation together too um, about this new show that we're making. And it's it's the same thing. It's genre of good. Um, if we have an idea that's good and it works and it's good... Uh, well, it's in. And if it's bad, well, it's not in the show. It's not like, oh, it's bad, Eric. Hey, Eric, this idea we had, it's bad. Let's suffer and kill ourselves for the next two months to try to make it good. Hmm. No. I mean, luckily, we're in a position, at least with our material in these processes, where we have the ability to pick and choose. It could be a different story if we just have, hey, man, let's make a show, and then we have one idea, and that idea is terrible. It's bad. Yeah, then <laughs> I guess the choice is genre of good is to not do the show. Right? It's a different discussion. But when, you when you're when you in a process and you have lots of different ideas bubbling around, I don't know, it's been pretty nice to, to just be efficient and say, well, if it's good, it's in, and if it's bad, it's out. Yeah. <laughs> you want to take ownership over that? No, I mean, okay, okay. Uh, I, uh, I guess when I said that, I, yeah, I didn't think about it as like a selection mechanism in terms of creating performances. For me, it was about selecting what type of artistic input I choose to put, you know, in, in, in my experiences. Yeah. All right. Well, look, let's get down to it. So performing juggling, 
I mean, there's so much to say and so much context to give and so many statements to qualify and blah, 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 right? But I think um, I was trying to think about, and this relates back to the, the school, uh, juggling school content. <clears throat> and I was trying to really distill down what is the essence of performing juggling? What does that mean? And we talk about juggling being expressive art form and all those things we've said. And just to say that this question became relevant in terms of the school discussion because the school I was working in, uh, a lot of the time, the institution said as a mission statement somehow, they were creating artists who were performing circus. So I took those two, those two things aren't to be taken for granted, just to say. I still think juggling, it's like you say, it's an activity. It can be used for different things. It's not inherently a performance. It's just a thing that exists and you can do stuff with it. You can do a sport, you can make it into sports, no problem. But the, the institution that was giving me a paycheck, that was hiring me to come to a job, I had to say, well, what is this job I've been hired to do? And one aspect of it was, well, they said they want to create an artist who's going to be performing and then, and then in this case, juggling. That's why I was there specifically for the juggling part of that program. So since we're going we're gonna to wrap up this idea of performance with juggling now, um, then what is the essence of that? Like, what does it really come down to? Can we talk about what is the essence of performing juggling? And um, a long time ago, back when we started doing shoebox tours, this idea kind of came to me. And it's something I've, I thought about all the time in every show I've ever I've ever made since Shoebox Tour, and that was Shoebox Tour was what 2006. The first one, yeah, 2006. Yeah, like that. So it came to me that um, to to think about jug performing juggling in this way that performing juggling is just a game. Everything is a game, and the game then becomes uh, or or the the performing experience between the performer and the audience is that in a successful performance. Again, how do you measure success? Mm -hmm. The audience understands the rules of the game and then they get enjoyment or whatever positive quality or experience, positive, negative, but an experience out of watching that game unfold, basically. And we can take this um, in, the, in the way of, uh, for example, a very simple one is N plus one. So what's the game there? Well, the game is I only have two hands, but I have three balls. So you've set up a game there. You've set up a situation where the audience on one level can understand what the game is and then they can watch you play it out while you do the three ball cascade, for example, or whatever pattern you want to do. But intrinsically at the heart, at the core, there's a game that's happening um, in terms of the, yeah, the presentation or the content. Do you ever think about that? Or do you think that's a, a good or bad way to think about things? Yeah, I don't know if the audience analyze i don't i'm trying to th trying to think to what the uh, how conscious an audience is of sure what they're seeing in terms of yes sure there is that mechanism that game that you're talking about there's one more ball than the amount of hands but i'm not sure the audience inter interprets that on a conscious level i mean sure i completely they agree with you they see it i think well and some of them might understand it but i think most of them it's a it's a sensor like it's a visual experience there's a bunch of balls being thrown by the hands 
No, but yeah. there is, yeah, but it's not as simple as that. There is some sort of theatrical context. Theat- I don't know, again, we're going to get tripped up on words here, mm. but there is some sort of context, at least, if we can, we can leave the word theater outside of it. But there is some sort of, um, yeah, I don't know what to say other than context. There's a concrete uh, situation that you're in. Right. And I think it, I and that's and you bring up the core of it exactly. So there is everything is a game in terms of what's the game and you get normally it's very easy to to have a bad performance when that game you have to over explain the rules or the ex- explanation of the rules is consciously done. Hmm. That's normally when it's it's a laborious performance. It's labored. It's like you have to go on stage and you have to say before you can play this game you have to kind of explain very pedantically, very clearly. Well, I'm gonna. I can give examples instead of trying to just generalize all the time. It's like Michael Motion at the start of his triangle, and he goes and he does that miming, thinking about the triangle, and he looks confused, and the mm-hmm. balls splatters around or whatever, right? Yeah. In that in the, in that moment, and we don't need to go into if we love that moment or hate that moment, if it was good or bad, but that's what I'm talking about. That, that's a moment in that routine where he's explaining the game. This is what's going to happen. And I think for me, I'm going to, I'm going to go out on a limb and say the best performances incorporate this education, which is such a terrible word, but it incorporates this explanation of the game and it wraps it up into the game and it unfolds in a, in a, in a fun manner that's not overtly mm. preaching to you or being extremely obvious. And it's what Luke Wilson says, for example, about his original club act. It's like, but, and, and again, he, he created that for a very specific context, which was the German variety stage. So he's working within a really strict set of rules or a very clear set of rules. Okay. But he says, you know, you want to come on stage, you want the audience to be interested in who you are so that they, so you don't come on stage and people just go, oh, I don't care about watching that person. Yeah. But at the same time, you don't want to come on stage and just say, um, well, it's like the worst introductions you can get generally if we're, t- <laughs> if we're talking about like a variety show or something or a juggling festival. Okay, guys, coming up next, we have Eric Oberry. He's going to juggle rings. He's going to do three, four, and five rings. Well, let's, let's, let's make him feel welcome. Here he is, Eric. I find that to be the stupidest, worst, boring introduction. I mean, I I think about street performing when you say this stuff. Okay. Like, I mean, the typical street performing, you know, that goes, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to juggle three knives yeah. or whatever it is. Is that what you're talking about, that you explain the game before? Then it's verbal, of course. No, 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 no. Uh, well, okay, we're getting a little bit... Uh, well, th- there's a different motivation in terms of the... What, what I'm, okay, wait, hold, hold up, hold up, hold up. There's too many crossing thoughts here in terms of the luke wilson thing what he's saying is you want to come on stage and have people be interested to watch you so you have to give them some sort of 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 clue or or connection at the beginning so they 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 want to find out who you are but you can't also tell them the whole story from the beginning because if you just come out and lay it all out then they also can just say well i don't need to see this yeah yeah. so that's what i mean if i go back to this terrible introduction example at a juggling Mm -hmm. festival I really hate it when somebody says, oh, Eric's going to come out, now he's going to juggle rings. Like, do you really need to explain that? Because the audience is going to see that. Yeah. The second you walk on stage, they're going to see it's you. <laughs> and is it really relevant they know your name? Is it relevant they know where you're from? Is it relevant they know how old you are? Maybe, many times not. 
in terms of this introduction, in terms of this unfolding of the mystery of what you're going to do, it's, it's really fun when you come out on stage, generally, most times, we could generalize and say, there is that moment of anticipation of what's going to happen. It's the moment of the unknown. And that's what Luke was engaging when he says you want to come out on stage and have people be interested to see what you are. But you also don't want to give away the entire act from the first 10 seconds for people to stop watching because they go, oh, I get it. Uh, he's going to do this for the next five minutes. Well, okay, I kind of get it. I don't need to see. But do you think any of this stuff is specific to juggling or do you think this is just for any type of performing? Well, that's a pretty broad question. I would guess uh, a lot of it's similar for many types of performing. Mm, okay. But I would guess that also for juggling specifically, this idea that it's a game, there is something intrinsic about juggling that's, that's a little bit more, have a stronger connection to juggling than maybe something else. Like maybe music? I don't know. Mm. There's something in the tech built into the physical... Because here's the thing. Juggling, for me, it's an object, it's a body, and it's, it's the environment. It's a space. And we're moving objects and bodies in a relationship to space and time, right? And so you have this physical reality that you're confronting in terms of interacting with an object. And that lends itself very clearly to a physical, concrete game. For example, the ball in the triangle. Yeah. Whereas maybe a, sing a singer or a musician, mm. it's a different type of game. Okay. Yeah, I, get, I follow. Okay. Yeah. And so, um, well, so, so what I was going to say is that, yeah, so it seems to me that from looking at the juggling performances that I like the most... There's, first of all, a clear game. There is a clear premise. It's the balls inside the triangle. That's super clear what's happening. Mm. Um, I'm not confused. I'm not... I tried to think of what's an example. I mean, I tried to think of an opposite example. But what I mean is the game is clear, but also then the explanation of that game is kind of unfolds in a, in a non-obvious way where I'm getting a lecture about... This, and this, and, 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 a, and an example of that would be, you see a lot of this juggling, especially juggling in music stuff, juggling with music, with like electronic juggling equipment. There's always has to be that moment at the start of the performance where you're kind of explaining to the audience, look, this ball makes this noise and this ball makes this noise. And that's how it's going to work. You're not playing the game yet. You're just setting up the rules. And I think the more, um, yeah, I, what, what, what to say, that explanation, the more it can be integrated into the actual game itself. Mm. If, by, if by playing the game itself, the rules become obvious, I think the stronger the performance is generally, or at mm. least the more fun it is for me to, okay. to engage. But how do you, th do you ever think about the essence of performing juggling? <laughs> no I mean I I mean what are you doing when you're performing juggling I have been thinking about like I don't know if I've thought about it in terms of I'm trying to I'm trying to think about it like that that's like a game what what you're saying uh, I mean j juggling is something visual most of the time that's how I perceived it so what's I guess I'm I'm interested because the it's such a um, 
the, the components are primitive in terms of like you have an object and you have a human being. Okay. Like it's very... It's, it's very basic in terms of its components. And I think that's something interesting there that you get to really watch uh, some kind of ground layer of, of, of physical exploration. Like there's not a hidden... There's some sort of truth to it. Yeah, but yeah, I can't say I've... Okay, well, how about this? About it like that. Yeah. Well, how about this? And again, this, this that I use the word game... <laughs> we're going about language here it's, it's a personal use of that word right i mean it's how i think about it to myself it's how i kind of assimilate my experiences and like how i navigate my internal process and everything but i think about this idea of a game became really um clear to me in another instance where let's not talk about performing for a second but let's just talk about being a, a hobby juggler or an amateur juggler or a hobbyist or a juggling enthusiast let's say and we can talk about the collision of cultures between uh, the juggling world and we have then the flow arts community. And so when you have flow arts, you start to have things like techniques that are based upon different sorts of qualities. So for example, there's a, there's a technique called anti-spin. There's a technique called isolations, right? And that's not based upon the quality of watching an isolation. Sure, you can be a practitioner of that activity and kind of appreciate the difficulty of how, how hard is it to keep that hoop frozen in the air while your hand moves around it. But that's not really the main motivation to show that isolation. The main motivation is the optical illusion or the aesthetic quality of that moment. Hmm. So with the flow arts, we started to have these kind of techniques and moments that were evaluated and judged from a different set of parameters almost, or from a different viewpoint on the technique. Because I mean, of course you could come out and juggle nine rings and do a nine ring pull down with a head bounce, with a bouncing a ball on your head. And then somebody else can come out and take a, a hoop and do a hoop isolation. I think it's pretty clear, at least to me and you on a, in a casual way, they're not trying to do the same thing. Right, yeah. right. So you go, oh man, nine rings, that was so hard. Oh man, that was, you have to move your hands so fast. It must have taken so long to learn, whatever, right? But then somebody comes out and they isolate a hoop and you don't go, man, that must have taken so long to learn. I mean, maybe on mm -hmm. one level you do, but your first initial response can be, uh, wow, that's so beautiful or that's so precise. It's, it's, not a, it's not in the mm -hmm. same quality. And so what I want to get to is the collision of these cultures between, we could say the traditional juggling community or something and the flow arts community you start to get these hybrid styles or these hybrid mashups of techniques that popped out in, in sequences, I don't know, five, started five years ago, six years ago, I don't know. But what, what it would be is somebody's doing a sequence, let's say with three clubs. And the first move of the sequence, it's like a back cross pirouette or something, right? That's clearly difficult. It's clearly based upon skill. You go, wow, this person is investigating an area of juggling where it's... Um, yeah, it's about the timing and the and the, 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 yeah, the raw skill, the talent is what I mean, the talent there. And then the next thing after the three club back cross double triple pirouette is then they do a little manipulation quirky moment that they invented themselves. That maybe looks weird, 
It doesn't look hard, but it's very clever. Oh, I didn't know you could take a club and flip it around your foot like that with the other two clubs. It's not hard in the same way that the triple spin back cross triple pirouette was. You evaluate it in a new way. You go, you go. Oh, okay. Now he's not. Now, now the juggler's not being technically pushing the technical boundaries of, of the limit of human ability. We're we're going in a new direction now. We're going in terms of creativity or personal mm. like personal style. Yeah, I don't know. And and then finally after that, <laughs> wait wait a second. Finally after that, you get the next trick, and the next trick is some sort of anti-spin thing, or isolation thing. That's an aesthetic quality. It's not about being clever or being new or being personal or being inventive. It's just about, oh, now we're going to do something that looks cool in a certain, in a different way. And so when these sequences started popping out because people are mixing these techniques, I got super confused because I'm trying to watch these videos on Facebook or YouTube, right? And I start watching the video and I go, okay, I get it. This person's going to jam out some crazy hard three club tricks. Wow, okay, I'm going to enjoy this. But then the next moment, it's not a hard three club trick. It's, you know, it's like a little broken down little ploop of a, of a weird little thing. And I go, oh, okay, I was mistaken. I get it now. We're going to watch some super clever, new, creative juggling that's super personal. And then the last thing is, you know, I see the anti-spin and I go, well, wait a second. I thought, because that thing I just saw, this little ploop was certainly ugly looking. It wasn't aesthetic at all. The, the, the three, and the thing before that, the three club back cross pirouette, that also looked pretty ugly in terms of, it wasn't very clean. The person struggled, but I, 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 I appreciated the moment because they caught the clubs, even if they caught it by the wrong end or whatever, right? But now all of a sudden, two moves later, you're doing a juggling trick that's based upon it looking a certain way. Like that, that that's the quality we're valuing right now. And I would get, I still get very confused when I see this kind of mindless mashup of qualities of how you would. Uh, view and kind of understand and comprehend the sequence that's being presented. Okay. Yeah, I don't I don't agree with any of this. I don't think that juggling is distinguished in this way to an audience. It might No, be hold to, on, hold on, hold on. It might what, be to on. you. It no, might exactly. Be to you. It is to me. I'm not talking about the general yeah. public. Yeah, you know, you I'm know. talking about me and you. Yeah, but I and I also think that I don't think that you, okay, you know that nine rings, let's say, is difficult, but there is still an aesthetical, there is some, there's still a visual quality there. Absolutely. That I think you can perhaps be overwhelmed when you know that something is very difficult, but that visual quality is still there for you to observe and, 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 and receive, you know? And totally. Like you can, of course, you can block yourself out or, or ignore that but I don't think that juggling is distinguished like this like but, this is technical this is aesthetic oh, hold this on. is visual this is new no 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 I wait wait wait, wait. no true. come on dude come on when was the last time you saw a YouTube video of somebody juggling nine rings because of the aesthetics of it no I don't know their intention I'm just but you saying can guess you can make an edu- you can make a you can make a guess oh, oh no but you, uh, <laughs> I don't think that matters. I think it still has an, a visual quality. I do too. Yeah. But I'm saying that somebody plays with that visual quality or intentionally engages that visual quality as the motivation for why they're showing you something. Yeah. That's very rare. Yeah, I don't know. No, I'm telling you it is. I mean, you, I don't you know. also know. No, but because <laughs> the moment that comes to my mind is like I asked, I asked uh, Henrico, the old juggler mm-hmm. of Finland, 
I mean, he was born in 1935, so he's really old. But he was at one point, he was <laughs> the only juggler in Finland. Yeah. And he he uh, juggled a lot of rings. Mm. So I got curious about that because he's he was from another generation. And mm. like, he, you know, the tricks that he does, like he's doing like these type Francis Brun type yeah combination tricks or six rings with the balance and stuff like that and i I asked him like why did you choose rings Mm. and he said yeah i thought it was so beautiful how they flew through the air Mm, nice yeah and the that type of juggling is not a it's not a it's not like he's exploring the way that six rings can float through the air he's just juggling them like he learned and so but but there was still an aesthetical <laughs> choice behind or there was still an aesthetical desire behind that choice of rings mm-hmm. so so yeah i don't and the same thing with ignatov i think maybe that stands mm. out even more like it's a very pure technical perfor- performance with my eyes yeah. or, or with the modern jugglers yeah. perspective but clearly, in terms of like, if you hear Ignatov speak, or, or and also yeah, the, yeah. I think the his choice of music, you can clearly and understand his relation to the music. His relation to the music that there's clearly a like aesthetical and visual aspect, just as much as a technical one. Yeah, but then we're maybe a bit confused here. I'm not saying it precludes that possibility, dude. Mm. I'm telling you, when I see these sequences on YouTube the past five years, that people seem to be confused with what they're doing. So it's cool. You can talk to Henrico and Henrico can say, well, I picked it because of how it floats in the air. I think that's very rare. I don't hear that very much. And certainly Ignatov relating to the music and his aesthetics and choosing like the large balls and all these things. Yeah. 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 Of course people play with that. Of course they do. Of course I can present nine rings in an aesthetic way for a quality beyond skill and making it hard and technical juggling. Yeah. I'm talking about, no, I'm talking about, um, this again this intuitive approach that isn't articulated that you're just grabbing techniques from all over the place and you're smashing them together and i'm trying to say just from a pure hobbyist amateur standpoint of my 12 year old self trying to understand these sequences they don't make a lot of sense to me Mm. i don't find a cohesion i don't find the the kind of the overall game is not clear to me the game is not clear of that sequence because I, I, I start off and I go, okay, now I'm going to see some flow arts. And if we're, because we're just generalizing here. Okay, well, that that flow art, they're going to isolate the hoop and they're going to do anti-spin. And they're going to, it's about how it looks. It's not about how hard it is. Yeah, I think uh, videos on YouTube and videos on Facebook, it's a little bit too general for me to. Okay. To be able to speak specifically about that, okay. It's, it's but too, you can't recognize this broad. quality of like ma- mashing. You've never encountered an instance where people are just mashing up techniques without any sort of coherent. Because I, I just wanted to get back to this idea of what is a game to me, and I say, well, the game here is like it's pretty clear. Like a, what act is it? But I mean, pick any act basically that you can find these acts everywhere. Where it's like I'm gonna do three balls, then I'm gonna do four balls, then I'm gonna do five balls. Then I'm going to do six. Like that's that's the game. Like it's pretty clear. Yeah. Whereas a lot of these videos, I, I see these sequences of mashing up these genres and cultures and whatever. I, I don't find the game. I don't get it. I don't understand what's the motivation. I never understood it. If you're doing like um, 
Well, it's, let, let's just talk. Let's talk about maybe, maybe I maybe you totally disagree with this too, but the whole isolation thing I find hilarious because the premise is like you go on stage and you tell the audience. Generally, you tell the audience this: "Look, I got a bunch of hoops. I'm gonna do a bunch of stuff with hoops." In this moment, the hoops go around my body. I don't use them. I don't touch them with my hands. I gyrate, and the hoops don't fall down. In this moment, I use the hoops in my hands. I throw them in the air. They don't fall on the floor. And in the next moment, guess what? The hoop doesn't move. Yeah. And then in the next moment, it does. In the next moment, it does move. And the thing is, the problem there is there's just no motivation for that hoop to have stopped moving or to move again. That's the lack. It's just the lack of motivation of this image. I don't get it. Does it make sense to me? Yeah, that that's definitely a case that I've seen with hoops specifically. Like, yeah, you throw them into the air, you uh, hula hoop with them around your body, and then suddenly you take one out and you you isolate well, it in front of you. It's it's become it's become a very valid thing you do. You just go, well, here's a catalog, here's a list of things. I mean, yeah. lots of performing. Let's let's be fair. Lots of performing is. Uh, just a list of things you can do. Yeah, I think it's so. a laundry list of things like, yeah. oh, I can do this, I can do this, I can do this. Yeah. And it's really funny then when you get to the hoop, you know, you get that into the hoop world, and it's like, I can throw them, I can spin them, I can, you know, roll them on my body, and also I can make them not move. And it's such a for me, it's always a shock of just qualities of what we're how how we're valuing what we're showing people. It's such a slap in the face for me of just like, and now it doesn't move. As if by magic. And now it does. They're like, wait, what? It seems so extreme. Yeah, I seldomly get that far into the video, I think. <laughs> <laughs> but, All right. I, All right. But, but to get back to your original thing, I've, I've been thinking a little bit more about it now. I was, because uh, you asked, like, so what is it about performing juggling? Yeah, the essence, maybe. The or, essence. Yeah. Like, what is what, what is there? Like, you're talking about this game. And I... I guess, or now when I'm thinking about it, I think it's more, for me, I'm interested more in what it evokes in me, like what, what kind of association it starts, what kind of emotion it starts, what kind of atmosphere it creates, and what kind of aesthetics it plays with, you know? And that is, uh, that's a little bit the same as, as experiencing music you know you're experiencing instrumental music and instrument and sounds that's also like it's some kind of an abstraction that manifests in you in terms of in 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 the form of associations emotions atmospheres and aesthetics you know so and michael motion said this again we're referencing him a lot but he's such a fantastic guy he talks about visual music and yeah. i think that is a fantastic comparison yeah so i think that's my answer to your question yeah. in terms of like what what's the game in okay. terms of performing juggling i think it is the same as music it's just a visual the visual version of music okay Cool. Well, yeah. let, let, this maybe isn't the smoothest transition, but I think it's your turn to talk a little bit. You wanted to talk about the different lengths of mm. maybe a juggling act or a different piece of juggling or performance. Right. I, I mean, I mean, I mean, it is a nice follow-on from this idea of what you what you think about juggling performance. And yeah, yeah, no, definitely, we can we can go to that. I mean, that's I think that's interesting. So the length of a juggling performance, I think that is interesting from. A lot of different perspectives because 
first of all, like if you look at it historically, there's been a couple of different lengths. And also like when I was kind of coming up and starting to perform myself, there was this very standardized format of the eight minutes or seven minutes, something somewhere around there. Hmm. That was like, that was the length of an act at that time. And where would, just for fun, where would those acts be performed? That would be the typical like variety or in a, in a show, mm -hmm. it would be seven, seven, eight minutes. Like if you had an act, that was kind of what you were aiming for. Mm. People could tell you that, oh, you're going to make an act. Okay. How long are you going to make it? Oh, yeah. Seven, eight minutes. And then what happened then was that shrunk. And I think that was pretty quickly. Like, I remember hearing about the seven, eight minutes when I was in school. But so that we're talking early 2000s. But already, like, when I was when I had graduated and I started looking at acts more, more consciously with that in my mind. And I even timed acts. Yeah, yeah. Timed several acts. And you would find that several acts were much shorter than that. Yeah. I mean, the, the one act that got super famous around, you know, like around 2000, Anatoly Salievsky, mm. uh, his handstand act on mm. the on the white circular... Slip, slippery surface. It was a slippery surface with the white uh, clothing. I mean, that act is three minutes. I think it's like 3.02 or something like that. Yeah. Like three minutes, more or less flat. Yeah. So that was interesting because that's half. Yeah. And I remember like I timed Chris Cremo's act at some point. Mm. A, a juggler. Uh, and I think that act was 12 minutes. Yeah, I mean, he's done a couple of different versions. Yeah, I mean, he even added the, the suitcases, the four suitcases at the beginning to make it longer. Somebody wanted him to make it longer. Mm. And he said, okay, I gotta do something else. And he added the four suitcase fountain at the beginning. So there you go. So that that's a 12 minutes. And that, that was surprising on, on kind of on the other side of that spectrum. Like, okay, that's kind of long then. Yeah. And I, and, Every time I've been putting stuff together myself, like, okay, it's going to be in a, let's say it's going to be in a longer one hour show. Like how much time can I have? Yeah. And you could maybe ask the director, like they want you to make an act. Oh, how, how long should I make it? Yeah. Make it a couple of minutes, you know, mm. it's, it's, it's there somewhere around five or three or five or four or seven or eight. Mm -hmm. And the, I, I just found that interesting. Like, what, what can you do with that time mm. and how many different how many different um, themes can you bring out in those minutes and that changes like there is a difference between three minutes and eight minutes yeah that is a big difference and also like since we're talking about performing just like points of applause yeah which is also something that is present in in juggling performance performance whether we like it or not and right. that's another thing that we can discuss because a lot of people have been trying to remove yeah. the aspect of, of applaud applause in from their act yeah, yeah. either by asking the audience directly with words yeah yeah or putting it in the program or yeah there's so many different ways to, that jugglers have been trying to deal with it and and then especially when you come to a juggling festival maybe it's ingrained in the public that's there <laughs> right the typical juggling audience and they love applauding and they love yelling and yeah. whistling and, and and then the poor performer who comes <laughs> there who doesn't want people to make any noise yeah. in their act because they're thinking about juggling kind of as they have kind of the contemporary dance sure. approach for example yeah so there you have a whole 
other set of problems that you have to deal with mm. in terms of your presentation. Yeah. So there's, but, but yeah, we might talk about that a little bit more, but let's go back to this thing about lengths. Yeah. So I thought also about that in terms of, in terms of like, okay, so how many themes can you introduce mm -hmm. depending on the length of your time? And how did jugglers of the past deal with that? Like, I've always been interesting. I did a lot of research on Paul Cinquevalli, and I've been really trying to find, like, indications of how long was his act. Yeah. And it's not so easy to find, but I've at least found, at, in one spot, I've found the slot that he's in mm. is 25 minutes. Mm -hmm. Okay. And that's probably included some kind of presentation from... Uh, from MC maybe mm -hmm. so let's say it's maybe tw but it's somewhere there 20 to 25 minutes so I thought that was interesting and I know also that Rastelli there's mentions of him doing up to 45 minutes yeah of juggling yeah and I mean that's a long act of just stacking tricks it's, well that's that's uh, I was gonna say because we talked earlier about the sequencing yeah and having sequences and Rastelli you know 45 minutes is kind of like one-off tricks generally yeah that's pretty crazy. Yeah, how long can you do that for in terms of a game for the audience? Like you can only yeah, yeah. stack tricks for so long, I think. Yeah. At after a while you start to be like, okay, maybe I have to introduce some other choreographic uh maneuver here. Yeah. Like take a break, a longer sequence. Right. You know, you get on into all of these like and again, here we, we kind of lack language to discuss juggling. What are we going to talk about? Orchestration, composition, mm. <laughs> uh, sequencing. Like we don't have a straightforward yeah. word to, to, to assign to this type of, of, of discussion on, of, about juggling composition. Yeah. But what, what, what kind of language would you use in terms of that? What are we talking, talking about? Orchestration, composition. What would you use? Construction. Construction. I, I it depends on. I think they all come out at various points. There's not one established. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not clear. <laughs> but they all mean the same in, in terms of constructing a juggling. Yeah, act. I guess referencing like what's going to happen next. Yeah. Routining. Routining. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah. No, but and I I can't say I have like any like distinct answers to that, but I do know that. The, I feel like at some point around like 10, 15 minutes, somewhere around there, it feels like you're, you're leaving the format of an act. I, I can't say specifically mm. when that is, at least in terms of the, the timing that we're used to in modern society today in terms of information flow. Yeah. Somewhere but, around there, you're starting to push the limit. But I think it's even funny when you see like a longer piece of, of it, Let's say, well, maybe dance is the bad example, but circus, let's stick with circus and juggling. Let's say you see an hour-long piece of juggling. There's still some sort of kind of built-in expectation on the audience that it's going to go kind of in five to eight-minute increments somehow. There's still that kind of unconsciously unspoken. It's kind of hard to, to break. I, I've, I've done shows before where you have a sequence that lasts like 25 minutes or something. And it's really hard for the audience to digest sometimes. You get you get people yeah. really upset. Because even though you're having an hour-long presentation, we still, if 
by the culture we grow up in and the other things we kind of see and don't, you know, just kind of unconsciously seep into us. Um, you still kind of expect this kind of rhythm of five to eight minutes every time that period of time, the image is going to change. Yeah. And if it hangs on much longer than that, yeah, you're kind of suffering. Yeah, I remember when we came to the IGA one one of those years, I remember that I had heard in advance that Tony Pezzo was going to come and that he had 25 minute or 25 minute ring sequence that he wanted to do i don't remember if he did it or not i don't remember either but i remember hearing about that in advance he had told someone yeah i've got 25 minutes ring, <laughs> you know peace yeah yeah and that's the other like these words acts routine routine yeah. show right so it's like what what performance performance what what kind of word you're gonna use because they don't only significant signify length they own also say something about the status yeah and and kind of something about what's inside well the how content. you position it yeah because if i if i would tell you i have a one hour juggling show yeah you would probably assume that it consists of many different pieces yes but if i say i have a one hour juggling act or juggling piece mm. that gives us different type yes. of association yeah totally yeah sure um Sure, sure. So there, I think there's a whole vocabulary that still needs a lot of... Yeah, yeah. Uh, we need to uncover that technical language. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. How do we talk about that? And, and, and what happens when you when you break a sequence of, of 20 minutes, let's say? Mm. Is that... What, what happens then? How do you... Is that possible for a juggling audience to... Yeah. To view? Right, right. Exactly. Hey, look, look, let's look at this in a different way. I want to I want to talk more personal to you instead of more uh, general now. It's a little bit of a general overview of different ideas, but I want to I want to find out really personally from you a couple of things. So I'm going to set up a couple of uh, questions and answer them myself and then you can jump in afterwards. But basically, like I said when I started off performing um I was just doing knives and, and torches and telling jokes and everything. I mean, I also did, uh, I would put on a song that's five minutes long and I would just jam three balls for five minutes or whatever. And those are the parts I really enjoyed the most, I have to say. Um, I didn't dislike the other, like speaking and everything, but it wasn't like the most exciting thing. And I just remember um, turning down a lot of shows as a teenager to stay home and practice rather than to go do the show because I was just thinking like, well... If I stay home, I can make up a new trick. But if I have to go do that show, it's the stuff I already know how to do. That's so boring for me. <laughs> That's kind of funny. But I always had a weird relationship to juggling and performing when I was growing up as a teenager. It never felt completely natural. It was always, um, I was always kind of confused about why I was there and why people were watching me. Like it wasn't, it, I wasn't losing sleep over it, but I just didn't feel like so comfortable. Like, oh yeah, man, I was born to do this. Um, but I really did enjoy putting on the music and just jamming out, you know, then I would put on a song and do devil stick, you know, for five minutes, like really kind of jam around my devil stick or whatever, uh, 12 years old. Um, and I, I had kind of a hard time relating to the feedback after the show. Like people were super nice. I was a kid. They'd come up and be like, Oh, really good job. That was like, so that was like really hard what you were doing. And I was like, Oh, I guess so. Like, is that, should I be concerned with that? I was just really confused and I didn't understand what was going on, but I know I loved juggling a lot. And then it wasn't until I was 18 and I, I went away from Ohio that I saw dance for the first time. And 
And I just thought, wow, this dance thing, I don't get it because they're not doing tricks. Mm. And that's so weird. Like, they're just moving. I can move. Like, oh, they're moving their arm. I can move my arm. Like, who cares? That's stupid. That's worthless. There's no skill involved there. Like, I didn't understand about qualities of movement or aesthetics or expression or anything. But luck. So I was I was pretty naive and pretty stupid there. But luckily, I wasn't stupid enough that I, I understood at least that people really liked dance and that dance was a big deal. There was a dance theater that impressed me and people took dance classes and you saw dance on TV. At least I was bright enough to go, well, I don't really see that much juggling on TV, but you see dance on TV sometimes. And okay, what's that about? And I kind of wanted to uncover what was the secret that I was missing to dance. And so I had that moment of then finally understanding and talking to some dancers and watching more dance intentionally. And they said, yeah, well, it's not really about how high you jump or how fast you turn. Um, it's, it, and it's not even about the, how clever you are with the movements or whatever. It's just more about um, what the movements express or what they mean or what they make you feel and all these things. And I thought, I just had a moment, an epiphany really of like, oh, that's actually what I like about juggling. Mm. And it never occurred to me before that you could that you could appreciate juggling for the aesthetics of it or for the yeah, emotional qualities of watching it or whatever that, whatever that even means. Um, I, it never occurred to me that you could appreciate juggling beyond just the technique of it. But that's that actually turned out to be the case. That's why I like juggling. That's why I kept juggling is because there was this other quality to it besides just that it was hard to do or whatever that I had taken a lot of time to learn a certain specific skill or trick and so um, then at that same time I went to a celebration barn theater up in Maine and uh, I started a company with a couple other jugglers and we were around the celebration barn uh, that was our headquarters so we there was a lot of workshops there so for example Michael Menez and Peter Davison would teach a workshop there every year and Tony Montanero would teach a workshop, and Abner the Eccentric would teach a workshop. And we would kind of hang around. We were like the resident company in the space, so we would kind of hang around some of these workshops, right? And I remember a couple of stories that really changed my entire life. And one was uh, they, they were doing this thing called scene studies, which means the students would come in the evening, and they would kind of give a performance. They would do an act around five to eight minutes long, whatever, and all the other students and the teachers would be the audience members. And so you would watch these shows, these acts. And then afterwards, you would discuss with the performer what, how it went or what they, they would ask you questions. Hey, what did you see? Or what did, you know, and we would say, oh, what did you want to do? And you'd have a conversation. It was like a feedback session. And I remember this one guy, I can't remember his name. I'm sorry. But this one guy came on stage and he said, he did his thing, and afterwards, um, somebody, I remember, like, the first question was, what are you trying to do? And the guy said, well, my whole thing with performing is this. I, I, also, like, what did he do? I think he was doing, like, some mime. He was doing mime and kind of dance, kind of theater, like, narrative mime. He was, like, yeah, he had, like, a story he was telling with his body, like, physical theater, maybe. And he said, he said, uh, well, my whole deal is I just love the connection with the audience. And the only reason I'm on stage is to, is to facilitate that connection. I'm here to serve the audience. They're my, you know, they, they tell me what to do. I'm just, I'm just their servant. 
and I'm there to serve that experience and, and to forge that connection. And that's the most important thing. It's the only reason I'm on stage. It's the only reason why I'm here. And he was so proud and so adamant and so enthusiastic about it. And after he said this little rant, it was met with complete silence. Nobody had anything to say because the truth of the matter is what he did was terrible and he didn't connect with the audience at all. Mm. And it was and it was that moment when I believe he was sincere. I don't think he was just saying that to sound cool or to sound selfless or, you know, to sound to position to posture himself in a certain light. I think he really sincerely believed that. I think he really was like, yeah, I'm performing so I can connect with the audience. And it's, that's my only job is just to forge that connection. And everything else is frivolous. It doesn't really matter uh, anything beyond that. And then the, the, the sad part was that he didn't establish any connection. He had failed. And since he wasn't doing anything else other than that one job, that one goal, it was a complete waste of time, a complete failure. And I remember sitting in the audience listening to that exchange and then hearing the silence afterwards. And I realized in that moment, I was like, oh, wait a second. If you're only there to serve the audience and you fail at that game, uh, well, then you've completely failed. And then I made a promise to myself sitting there in the silence. Really, I said, okay, from here on out the rest of my life, at least one person is going to like what I do when I do a show. And that person is going to be me, mm. at least. Right? Because I, I understood that audiences are going to be different all the time and you can never know 100% of the time what they're going to think or meet there to be necessary for them or whatever. But I said, at least 100% of the time, the one consistent thing in the performance is going to be myself. I mean, right? Pragmatically. <laughs> And then I could look at that and say, well, then I better do something that, sure, it can also make the audience happy. It can also forge a connection with the audience and blah, 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 blah. But it also has to make me happy too. So I'm not just a servant. I'm not just here to, you know, maybe I determine and I go, well, the audience just wants to see me eat, eat an apple while I juggle and juggle fire. That's all they want to see. Well, I hate doing those things, but whatever, they're the boss. Yeah. <laughs> Right. It was like, no, 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 no. I should at least because maybe I do the apple eating and the fire juggling and 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 whatever other uh, I pick those two examples because that is the cliche. Whatever other cliches I determine that the audience wants to see only because they hate juggling or whatever else. Right. And then what 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 if I show the audience and they still don't like those things I showed them, then I have failed them. But I've also failed myself. I've wasted everybody's time. And so that was one real formative moment. But the other one came in that same kind of time period, which was once I understood that you could evaluate juggling through its aesthetical qualities or other properties beyond technique, it was that idea of, so why are you on stage? So why go on stage and juggle in front of someone else? And I had heard somebody explain to me, it was just really funny thinking back on it because I never heard it put like this since then. But they said, the reason you go on stage and juggle is because you are better than the audience. And you go on stage and you literally say internally, you say the statement, you are out there and I am up here because I can do this and you cannot. Yeah, I mean, that was really what they sincerely believed to be the entire point of why you should go show someone that you're juggling, right? That was their starting point. That was their premise. And I really thought about that for a second because intuitively that didn't really sound, I couldn't relate to that, right? It didn't sound like it made a lot of sense to me. I was like, oh, that's kind of an ugly 
position to be in. That's kind of a weird confrontation even. And mm. I don't really want to be a part of that. But I couldn't really say why. But I thought about it a little bit. And then I realized it's just a dead end game. Because if you go on stage and you say, well, I'm better than you. Uh, that's why you're going to watch me. So Eric, you're going to watch me because I'm better than you. Watch, I'm going to juggle seven balls. And I do the seven balls. And then mm. you're the audience member and you go, Okay, you think you're better than me? You think you're so good? <laughs> do eight. And I go, oh, okay, I guess I'll do eight. And then I do eight balls a little bit, not as much as the seven, because I'm not as good at eight as seven. Mm. And then I go, haha, see, I'm so awesome. I'm so better than you. I did eight. And you go, yeah, okay, do nine. And then I think in my head, like, oh, I never performed nine, but I practiced it a little bit. I guess I could kind of pull it out. Mm. And then I do the nine flash, you know, just barely. And I go, haha, Eric, I'm so much better than you. I did nine. You can just keep going. You yeah. say, do 10, do 11, do 12. I'll never win. So I learned two things. Number one, it's a game I will never win. So I found it to be the most boring starting point for a performance, for me, at least. And again, going back to that idea that one person in the show is going to be happy. It's going to be me. Well, okay, that's not a very fun proposition that like, hey, every time you play this game, you're going to lose. Like, oh, okay. Mm. And the second idea being that that game... Even, even if it's interesting to somebody for some length of time, I found it to be very shallow. It's such a boring game. Oh, do one more, do one more, do one more. As the kind of motivation, the main motivation of why you're there in the first place. I couldn't, and I, I decided that, well, if I'm going to have a game, and that's, that's again, maybe where this idea of having a game came from too. Mm-hmm. That really was a game that was established. Like do one more, you're always one-upping the audience, but they can always one-up you. Then I said, okay, well, I need to have a game that's deeper and more nuanced and has more layers or has a, a bigger conceptual framework than this very basic uh, premise that doesn't really go anywhere good. So those were some really, yeah, some b- big moments in my performing life to have these realizations about what we might be doing. But did you have any? Yeah, I had, like I had that exact uh, experience actually not too long ago. I was at a school in Minnesota and I juggled three balls and four balls and five balls <laughs> and then the kids you do one more yeah and i had one more so i juggled six and then they yelled do one more but i didn't bring more than six exactly <laughs> so that's, that's well that's the other, and just it. just to say culturally again that you if you're a juggler you relate to this obviously but if somebody asks you well can you juggle seven never say yes right because if you do what are they going to say Show me. Yeah, prove it. <laughs> yeah, prove it. Yeah. <laughs> it's so annoying. <laughs> right. But did you have any other, I mean, more like different uh, experiences growing up with performing where you kind of had a realization of what it was you might actually want to do or what it was you were actually doing or anything like that? Well, I realized, and this took me, you know, 10 years, I realized that what I'm interested in with juggling not that many people are interested in it, you know. <laughs> what do you mean? That was a hard realization. I mean, I uh, talked earlier about the head roll research that I did. Okay. So, I mean, I I got, like, you know, hundreds of variations of head roll patterns. And for a long while, I put a bunch of those together, you know, for an act. That was, and it was just variations on head rolls. That was the act. And I remember that was probably the first act that I had some kind of success with uh, but 
I also remember that how that act often was received was mostly like this guy's crazy, you know? It was just it was, I felt like a guy who was just presenting unthinkable thoughts. Hmm. And that was certainly not at all my intention with that act or the purpose of that that act. I was doing those things as like mm. here's an exploration of of this specific little detail in juggling that was what i was interested in hmm. and i think that very few people was interested in that i mean it's funny that you framed that in the in the way that you said what did you say that you were interested in things the audience wasn't or something yeah because for me i look at my whole career frequently um with try to have some some distance on the whole the whole thing some perspective and i go man i'm so lucky that the things I found fun or amusing or engaging in the studio, I've been lucky enough that audiences also agree with me to the point where I could have a career there and make go. money at this. Yeah. And I I have an I have another example of my bad judgment in terms of <laughs> in terms of what the audience or whatever, you know, success in terms of that. Yeah. And that was when uh, it has to do with the RDL stuff and that whole process. And uh, because now we have a new genius in Sweden, uh, Amron Rosvall. Mm -hmm. And he has done a lot of work with magnets and clubs. Yeah. And deconstructing the clubs, you know, partially and adding in magnets to get new functions and new things you can do with the clubs. Really great work. And I remember he showed me that work when he was at a pretty early uh, phase in the process. And he hadn't showed it to that many people. And I remember asking him, I was just like, why do you, why do you, this is really great stuff. I mean, it's genius stuff. But I was a little bit opposed to it being done with clubs. Mm. Because I thought that it would be, in my mind, it would have been interest, more interesting to do that work with that some other object, like a stick or, or, or any shape that he would, invent himself for whatever reason would have been a more interesting pathway for me mm. to to watch uh, but but the club was this kind of nerdy jugglers tool i thought <laughs> okay and i i said that to amron and he said no 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 of course i'll do it with clubs because then all the jugglers can relate mhm mm and he was, you know, very right about that. I was totally wrong, you know, in terms of the success of that. Mm -hmm. I'm, not, I'm not saying my opinion is different. Like, I still have the opinion that, that I have. But in terms of the intuition of success, he was totally wrong. Right. He was totally right. And I was totally wrong. So. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, well, so. We have this idea. So go back to this idea of a game, if, yeah. if I may. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I really wonder. Uh, I mean, I really wonder what you think about this. Um, there's there's kind there's types of juggling that you see in a performance where after the first throw, the game is done. <laughs> and I got a problem with myself where I make those kinds of games and they suck. So I had this one prop I made with my, my dad made me and it was a ski jump kind of look in contraption where you drop a ball on the top and it would go down this little ski jump and jump back up into your hand. Right. And I had three of these ramps positioned around me and I had like whatever, a five, six minute long routine. 
of different patterns of how the balls would, would flop back up or whatever. But you know, actually in the end, after I did that first release of that first ball on the first ski jump, the routine was over because there was never new, any new information entering the system. And it really reminds me of seeing like, uh, like swinging trapeze sometimes because a swinging trapeze act, the trapeze is fixed to a rigging point generally. Like actually the funny one is that in the, the Alegria uh, revamp that Soleil toured starting last year, the, it recalls the sensation because the trapeze rigging rotated slightly, like mm -hmm. it pivoted around. So that as they were swinging, they could kind of get a little bit more dimensions in terms of like which way they were facing. It was like a big deal. People were freaking out like, oh man, it moved. Like it wasn't even like 90 degrees. It was like 30 degrees or, or, wh or whatever, you know, it's very little, I thought. Um, but it was kind of a sensation. But this idea of swinging trapeze, it's like, well, once that person does that swing forward and backwards, you know what you're going to be looking at for the next eight minutes. No new information, really, in terms of the core concept. Yes, there's a lot of variations presented within that, but there's nothing new entering the system. And have you ever come up with stuff? I, I find it very frustrating because I'll come up with ideas and it's just like, ah, it was over when I started. Yeah, I thought a lot about this. I don't know how much of a conclusion I have, but I do have made that same observation. Mm -hmm. And that sometimes you just know from the beginning, like you're saying, it's such a good way of explaining it. Already from that last ball going down, down the slope, you know what the next five minutes is going to be, yeah. more or less. Mm. And I, I've been thinking about that, and I, I can't really say. I guess there's something about surprise or added information or something like that that needs to be in. But I've I've also thought a lot about new juggling that's being created. That sometimes it's like uh, it's as if be it becomes something else, like it becomes alive or something like that. I don't really have hmm. a good way to explain it but it's like when i take the uh, when i take a ghost cube and i move it in a certain way it it becomes something else than mm. what the form suggests gotcha yeah, i, I think it, 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 there is something there that when the movement quality when the visual quality becomes something different than what the static image suggests yeah it's really funny when you have your your kickstarter video and you have the what is it five by five or something and you say flock of birds yeah on that voiceover and it's just perfect everybody just goes yes right, right, like a right flock of birds it moves like a flock of birds or whatever it's so man maybe back to the key put to the ski slope if you if you drop mm -hmm. that ball and it did something that you didn't yeah. expect from that yeah, yeah. contraption that would be one thing yeah but you're still stuck with the with you know okay let's say that there is a surprise there or there is something unexpected there you might still be in that position that it happens the, the every time of, and then, that's what the rest of the act is going to be yeah so so i guess there's two problems there maybe mm -hmm. there there's that yeah what what the static form suggests there has to be more information than that. And also there has to be some kind of development of the visual um, yeah. thing. Okay, okay. Yeah. What, do you, what do you say to this? Another little different idea. Um, 
this goes back. Oh, okay, sorry, just to qualify this. You know, back when I told you that somebody told me that the reason you go on stage is to say that you're better than the audience. It was around that time, too, that it kind of became clear, either it was from a book or something, you know, just from talking to performers or whatever, that a lot of the starting points or the premise of what they were doing was that the audience was disinterested in what they were, were going to show. Hmm. That you start with this idea that the audience is bored and stupid. Yeah, that I've heard too. Yeah. Yeah. But do you, what is that, I mean, is that true? Or do you have to deal with that? Yeah, I've thought about that in terms of the, the theater, a theater context, that there is something about when you have people who have paid for a ticket to specifically see you mm-hmm. or specifically see the show that you are in, mm. they have made that investment both in terms of their decision and their money, let's say. Yeah. So when they come into the sit into the theater space and they in, in, into the seating, they sit down and they look at the stage. And there is something about that moment that they are giving you their attention for free. Yeah. And that's completely different than let's say you're performing on a street. Or even, sure. even I mean, both you and me, we've done a lot of corporate mm-hmm. uh, performances. Right. And that's not the case there. No, no. You're there. Maybe there's a stage. Maybe there's not a stage. But the people who are there is generally like they're there because of their company. And maybe they're there for free food and drinks. Or they did not make the decision themselves. Even if they're having a great time there. Totally. They did not make the, that decision. And they did not make that investment. So kind of the rules of the game is completely different there. Sure. I mean, maybe I'm being over, I mean, maybe I'm being idealistic here and it's not confronting reality, but even in that situation or these different situations, I still think as a performer, okay, we can use another metaphor and say, you're going to have a conversation with the audience. Well, let's say you're going to sit down and talk to somebody. Isn't it better just to start with the assumption that you're both going to be interested and cool human beings? Like, again, like I'm saying, maybe I'm being a little bit too naive here. But like, I think if you give somebody that level of respect, you're 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 at least increasing your chances to get it back. If you treat somebody with respect and like you kind of treat them and say, hey, you're you're a intelligent, uh, you know, interested person, then you're. I don't know. It seems to me that at least you're more likely to get that reflected back to you, that they would actually be interested and intelligent and engaged maybe with your performance rather than going on stage and being like, huh, Eric, look, I know you hate juggling. I know you think what I'm going to do is going to suck. I know that you're not entertained right now and I need to do something to like spice it up. And I think this can come out in, um, but for me, it comes out in subtle ways. I think with my performance, generally, I think about this uh, again, um, intentionally, it comes out. I try to curate some of these moments at least. And that's that one thing of like, I remember this whole, one thing I've struggled with my entire life is this idea of eye contact. Have I talked to you about this before? I'm not sure. Oh, this this idea that you look at the audience. I never know why people are looking at the audience. I don't get it. Okay, I get it technically. I get it in terms of the tradition of theater and, and performing. I get that. I understand it. I'm not so stupid to be like, I literally don't get it. But I mean, conceptually, I don't get it. It seems to me that lots of the times the looking is is kind of a way of saying you don't give the audience enough credit 
to kind of follow you, that you need to hold their hand and drag them along with you. So you have these moments in the in the performance where you stop and you'll look at them. So you, you have to check in with them and make sure that they're cool and that you're cool and everything's happening okay. I'm not saying that you shouldn't ever look at the audience. Mm. I'm not saying I don't do that. But I'm just saying as a given, and that's something that people take for granted all the time, especially like in class. You're at a circus school teaching the jugglers and they're working on their presentation for the end of the week or whatever. And then they, they, they start off by walking out in the floor and they look at you. And I'm just like, why are you look like, what do you want from me? And I remember two responses to this, which are my favorite things ever. Um, one was that I was walking in Iceland across the lava fields um, to the to the the natural hot pots there outside of Reykjavik, uh, at Reykjadalur. I was walking across the lava field, and with with Kantan Kantan Mansell, and he was a he's a French juggler. He went to the circus school here in Stockholm. He did Diablo and clubs, and we were walking across the the field, and I said to him. And this would have been like 2004 or something and whatever. And then I said, uh, yeah, I just don't get it. Why people are always looking at the audience. It's, it's so awkward. Like I'm in the audience and the, and the performer looks at me. I don't know what I should do. Like, should I smile or wave? Or like, I should just look back at, stare back at them and like not acknowledge it. It feels so weird. Why do people do that? And then Kantan gave the best answer I've ever heard. And he said, people, when they're juggling, doing a juggling show or circus but he was he was a juggler he said when i'm juggling on stage you look you look at as the performer you look at the audience and in that moment there's the statement look isn't it wonderful what humans can do <laughs> isn't it amazing what the what humans can accomplish and there's there's a moment of humanity in that look at this human condition this human connection so I thought that was like such a wonderful response because I've never heard, just to say, to be to be honest, I've never even heard something close to that before or since then. Right. It's always another quality of like, well, I look at the audience because that's what you do. Like that's what you hear a lot of the time. Well, that's just what you do. Yeah. But 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 then the other the other good response I got <clears throat> was from Victor Key. It was actually super super cool. Um, you know, Victor Key, he's, uh, he's totally his, his, his own special dude out there doing his Victor Key thing, you know? And he's out there um, being Victor Key, like, all the way. And I said to, I said to, I, he gave a workshop at the, in Berlin at the catacombs um, after he stopped doing Dralion with Cirque du Soleil. He came and gave, gave a workshop at the catacombs. And I asked him, I said, but Victor, uh, why do you, why do you look at the audience in your performance? And he says, well, I look at the audience at the start of my performance. I look at them so that they know they will look at me. That in my looking at them, I am telling them that they're going to look at me. And I thought that was pretty cool too. Like I never heard a really, yeah. he, he was super clear on it and very concise and precise. Like I look at them, I look at you. So you look at me. Mm. Oh, that's a kind of a cool idea. But, um, that just goes along along with this idea of, I think for me, it's wrapped up a little bit in this idea that the audience is bored and stupid. And there's this idea that you can give the audience more credit than maybe is the tradition somehow, or like the kind of the <laughs> attitude <laughs> of performing when I started in the, at least in the eighties, when I encountered these ideas, mm. um, which I think come from way before then. Um, and this idea that the audience is intelligent and they're going to be engaged. And it goes back to the genre of good. 
that if you do something that's good, then they're going to watch it and you don't necessarily have to hold their hand and drag them down through the entire show um, performance of just keeping by looking at them and checking in with them. Like, All right, is it still okay? It's like, yeah, well, maybe if you're doing something good enough, then you can skip over some of those formalities. Mm-hmm. But have you ever... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I had a crisis about looking at the audience. I hadn't heard that thing about that Canton said. That's really, that's really cool because it's specific to circus. It's like exactly. a commentary on circus. Yeah, and I hadn't heard that before. Every comment I've heard about looking at the audience is always about you know humans and people and mm-hmm. not so interesting responses maybe it's cool to hear what victor key has to say about it and for sure like he's onto something there is yeah these you know primal human animalistic instincts animalistic instincts that we of course can you know analyze and come up with some clever way of doing it but back sure uh, and sure i look at the audience too sometimes when i make a do a performance but yeah okay okay whatever yeah, yeah. uh <laughs> It's not a super... No, okay. Uh, it doesn't bother you. It doesn't bother me that much, at least not lately. Like, I... Mm. It's more like... There, there's been, like, really technical aspects of looking at the audience that has bothered me. Like, mm. for example, if I have a moment where I'm like, and I'm going to look out in the, to the audience and, you know, acknowledge them or whatever it is I do, and then I look out and I look specifically at some person. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of, you can get in a lot of trouble when you do that. Mm-hmm. Like, first of all, if you look out, because you often when you're on stage, you don't really see yeah, yeah. the audience. Like, maybe you see them a little bit. There's maybe spotlights in your eyes. You can mm-hmm. kind of see them. So when, so when you're looking out there and you see someone... Maybe that person, like, there's been so many occasions where I've felt like that person didn't look at all like I thought he would look. Like, maybe it's a real someone really, you know, ugly or really beautiful. Or there's just a surprise in me. That, like, I kind of go, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, I look out there. That's one surprise that I'm just like, okay, then I kind of have to, you know... I get startled for whatever reason. Yeah. And the other thing is like, if I look out and I specifically happen to look out at a person who at that point was looking, you know, at their watch or yeah, yeah. they were looking away, then I feel kind of stupid. Like I'm looking at this person <laughs> and maybe then that person feels that I'm looking at them. So they look at me and then there's, you have this kind of <laughs> awkward thing going yeah, yeah, there. Yeah. So I've, so I've had that. Then it but, just becomes this little technicality that you have to deal with. But that brings up a thing yeah. that that really is really important to me, and it goes back all the way to that celebration barn uh, theater <laughs> with that with that guy who was going to connect with the audience, right? Right, right, right. And what I think is so funny is, let's say, hey, I am going to connect with the audience. It's all about forging that connection. Mm. Well, let me ask you: you as a performer being elevated on a platform and being shown on br- with bright lights in your eyes being in a basically a different world than the audience, is that helping force the connection? It doesn't really for me. Like for sure being elevated maybe that the audience can more easily see you. Eh, that could maybe be beneficial depending on how the scene goes and how many people there are because there's more of the audience than you probably yeah. generally. But if we think back to all those shows we did with Shoebox Tour and uh, in Iceland and, and also with our, our company Capsule here in Stockholm where we're, we're performing in libraries and schools sports halls and gyms and in classrooms 
um, I really love this idea that the audience and the performer um, are, e are on an equal uh, starting point. We're equal as human beings. And that also kind of, I mean, definitely relates straight back to that idea that why are you on stage? Because I'm better than you. <laughs> like, no, no, no. We, we two, we're cool people here. We're both cool. Everybody's good. Now, but now I'm going to do something. I'm going to show you something that I want to show you. And you're going you're gonna to give me your attention that you want to give me. Yeah. There's a mutual respect there. And I love it when we do our, our shows like, like Blick or Bavis. I mean, those are on my YouTube, I think. Or yeah, I think it was on a YouTube channel. You can see them, the whole show. And we don't use any special theater lighting. And we don't use even a theater. We're performing just in a room. And the audience is in the room with us. We're all literally on the same level of the same floor and we're all literally in the same uh, lighting state. And I love that feeling because then it's not a disconnect. It's not like the audience is watching TV. So you're on stage in Germany and you look out at, yeah. at, at, at the Winter Garden and somebody's eat, eating their whatever pasta and drinking their beer. And then they shocked that you're looking at them and you're looking at them and they're looking at you. It doesn't happen because you're in the same world. And yeah. I love it. I love that feeling of being in the same world. Uh, with the audience, literally, in in not just in concept, but in the design of the of the of the show, in terms of like the staging and the lighting and things like that. And just while we're on that on that topic of status, meaning that as the performer, you sure you have an elevated status in terms of you're generally the center of attention. Like that's generally one component that's hard to escape. Although we can talk about Michael Motion being the center of attention, or is it his props being the center of attention? I think it's like a fun thing to think about, but this idea of having a hierarchical status that the performer is on another level above the audience, I kind of don't find so fun as a starting point. Back to this idea that the audience is bored and stupid. But while we're on this idea of the things that I love the most about performing, I just want to say that this idea about the audience being interested in what you're doing, I think for me, the best thing to get to, the best feeling or place or moment or relationship to get to with a juggling performance, and maybe it's true with other kinds of performing, I don't know, but for me as a juggler, um, is that the audience doesn't know what you're going to do next, but they want to find out. And that's like a small little detail there. Because <laughs> it's very easy for the it's very easy for the audience to not know what you're going to do next. But they, it's very easy for them to also not care. And be like, oh, I don't know what he's going to do. I don't care. I don't need to watch this. But I love that moment of the audience is just like, what's going to happen next? What are they going to, what's that object going to do? Maybe it's not even a new object. Maybe it's still just the three balls you've had for the past 10 minutes, but what are they going to do next? And what's this performer going to do next? And I can't wait to find out. I think that's a really fun conversation there to have there in terms of thinking about like, why are we looking out? What are we doing there? Are we playing a game? I mean, what, what are we going for there? That's kind of something I strive for all the time as I love it when like we do our shows together in the school and the kids are just so excited when we get to the next thing. You, 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 the next thing in the routine or the next thing in the show with a new prop or whatever. It's super cool when they're on board, right? And you can yeah. feel it. And they're just like, wow, we're going to do this next thing together. And uh, yeah, anyway. So. No, I, I was going to say something about the very first thing that you said about I, I treat the audience like they're, what was it? They're stupid and... Well, the premise is that the audience is, is uh, both bored and stupid. There you go. The, the, <laughs> the premise is that the audience is both bored and stupid, and I guess I mean that th that is an assessment that you have to made to to make when you're gonna make a performance somewhere. Like, what is the audience? Uh, 
generally going to be like, that, that there is some utility of making that assessment. But just to say, there's risk both ways here. Like, okay, bored and stupid maybe is, is extreme. Is extreme, but but just in terms of like, let's say it's a the tip your typical contemporary dance audience. You certainly don't have to look at them. I mean, they're very used to watching. Uh, performances that are the typical fourth wall like you just walk you looking into a world you know mm-hmm. the performance never look at you yeah and they're very comfortable watching performances like that yeah whereas if you would go if your audience is a more of an the type that are used to seeing more live entertainment perhaps maybe they're used to the or the actors or the sure sure performers you know looking out or having that human to human direct con- connection i don't know but but in terms of them being bored and stupid there's that risk like let's say you make that assumption about the audience so you do something to really hold their hand mm-hmm. in the beginning of your performance and really lead them on and like yeah hey, you know whatever it is that you do and they're not bored and stupid yeah the risk then is that they might feel like they're being you're, you're being condescending exactly yeah yeah and the other way the other side of the spectrum let's say you go like no but my audience they're really smart people sure. whatever and you come on stage and they oh did it st-? i mean that's the typical one right D- did they start <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah. there's examples of, of performances like that that we've all been in the audience you know you see like they clearly started the performance and the audience they're just there talking and they're yeah. there and you just like and maybe that has to do with being you know sure, sure. you have some experience with performing yourself and you know sure, sure. subtleties so <laughs> right, right, right. so there you go like there's risk both ways I would say sure well I mean the way, okay, apart from this game thing in relationship to what you just said, I, I think there's two elements at play here. And that's where I, I think it's really fun for me. And also it's where the creativity comes into play. But there's two, there's two factors. The first is um, what you want to express, or which can be what you want to show. I mean, again, express doesn't have to be that deep. It doesn't have to be rocket science or mysterious or whatever. It doesn't have to be big. What do you want to show? What do you want to express? And the other part is, what does the audience think they're going to see? That's yeah. the two parts for me. Yeah. And for me, for me, then, um, what you have to do to follow on from that premise is that you just have to you have to address the expectations, their expect expectations in some way, to make sure that they really actually see what you want to show them. So the audience thinks they're going to see one thing you have to kind of try to maybe have some thoughts into that area about what they might be thinking they might be seeing. You have to also look at what you actually want them to see. And then the game becomes, or, or the, 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 I mean, the creation there, the creativity becomes and how do those two things meet? Because you can't just ignore what you think they, what they think they're going to maybe see. You can't ignore the expectations. You can't ignore that if you're in, again, like a German variety audience, that the next thing you're going to see is going to last five minutes, right? You can't ignore that as a fact. So if you want to come out and present something for them that's 30 seconds long only, and you want it to be a complete, cohesive, coherent experience, you need to somehow acknowledge when you come out on stage 
that they think you're going to go on for at least five minutes or whatever, right? Because if you just do 30 minutes, and 30 seconds and you leave, then they're going to be there hang, they're left hanging going like, wait, what was that? It's confusing. So you have to acknowledge if you say, okay, they want to see something that's five minutes long. I want to do something that's 30 seconds long. How can we, how's that going to go? Mm. You need to meet their expectation. Not, uh, not to the point where you need to do what they want, you, what you think they want you to do. It's not that, oh, well, the audience thinks I'm going to do five minutes long. So the way I meet that expectation is that I go do five minutes. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about you have to acknowledge what that expectation that they hold. And you have to somehow relate that to what you actually want them to see in an effort that they will see you with fresh eyes, that those expectations won't cloud their vision or distract them. So that the whole time they're watching you, they're thinking in their head, man, but I thought he was going to... I mean, the perfect example is a lot of Diablo juggling acts. They come out on stage, they have a five Diablos in their hand, and they set down four, and they start doing one. You know how it goes. That entire time they're doing one, what are you thinking? He's going to do five at the end. When's he going to do the five? Yeah. <laughs> That's an expectation that you've set up. Right? You have to be aware of, of these situations, right? And how can you, and I think it's in the solving and the meeting of these two opposing ideas. I think that's where the creation really happens. And I think that's where it's really fun generally for us in our work and how yeah. we can stage a show and how we can make the show go from one image to the next. And what are people going to think? And it's going back to the idea of like the audience going like, I don't know what's going to happen next, but I want to find out. Yeah. Kind of that idea. Right, right, right. Yeah, I was going to say something about you said, like, what does a show, uh, what do you want to express? What do you want to show? I think that's worth talking a little bit about, like, those words. Yeah. Because we don't have, we don't have uh, a, an, an established way to speak about the content of a juggling performance mm. in terms of, like, we have these words, like, like you were saying now, what do you want to express? And then you say, maybe you don't want to express something. It's just something you want to show. And there's, we, 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 we easily fall into this trap of importing words yes. to talk about our performance. Yeah. And we import these words from other performative uh, right. Fields, right? Like theater specifically, like what do you want to express? Let's yes, say. yes. And then you say, I don't want to express anything. I just want to show my juggling, and <laughs> then somehow that implies that you're lower in the hierarchy of of it's importance. Less, it's less valid. It's less valid. Yeah, right. But I think what you have to you have to take two things into account here. First of all, that we don't have yet a, a very developed language to talk about. The content of, of juggling and second of all the nature of juggling might not align so well with with uh, what you can easily uh, explain in like a narrative or a concept it might be so that what you cannot easily explain in a narrative or a concept is what brings depth to juggling mm-hmm right on so I think it's not for sure that someone who's just like, oh, yeah, I'm expressing this. I want to, you know, do this. And my thing is about. Mm -hmm. And then you have this elaborate thing, you know, some that, that, that leans on narrative and that leans on, on these other things. 
it's not certain you might be doing yourself a disservice when you construct juggling based on that premise mm-hmm. because the depth that you're after might lay in abstraction and th- the more subtle nuances of juggling that we have less ability to explain with words it's so funny i mean thing uh, there's one thing i've gotten kind of obsessed with in the past couple of years which really can is it's in a concern it concerns me it doesn't give me joy it's that there's this um there's many times this disconnect between what we think we're doing and what we're actually doing and what i mean is i mean it, i kind of it kind of hit me like two or three years ago where internally i think the juggling looks a certain way it's a visual art form by the way just to say and so inside of me i know how it looks and i know how i think it looks from the outside but then there's the reality of what it actually does look out like from the outside and we have a very at least i can say personally i have no structure infrastructure in place to evaluate that I just always kind of went intuitively and kind of assumed like, oh, if I do like this, it's going to look like that. But I have no, I mean, of course I can, I can film my performance and I can watch that video back and everything, but it's not the same as live. And it's not the same as talking to an audience about what they actually saw. And this, this becomes very important when we're talking about colors, you want to juggle different colors. Well, what do people actually see? And colors are crazy because they're so subjective. I mean, co- I mean, the whole science behind color is insane. The biological, the psychological. I mean, color is a heavy, complicated, crazy, mysterious, fun, shocking thing. And this idea, though, that, okay, I'm going to make a juggling performance of any type. Well, it's a visual art form, which means people are going to see something and get something out of that, whatever, you know, in whatever way. Um, Well, in my head, I kind of have an intention or I have a, expectation or a feeling about what it is that I'm doing of how it looks but you know in the end I really don't know I've kind of gotten obsessed with that idea or kind of concerned about it did you ever have to deal with that no I I don't think not in that way no I think for me what was the strong moment of that of that thought was just and this sounds so it sounds so elementary like looking back and explaining it to you now But um, for some reason, it just never really popped into my head so clearly that when I do a juggling trick, for example, I have an internal relationship to that trick that I think I know how it looks. But actually, from the outside, it looks completely different, you know, than that feeling I have while I do it, while I do that movement or I throw the ball like that or I put my arm in that position. I go, yeah, yeah, I'm making that shape. And yeah, sure, I can watch back the video and see like, oh, I did kind of make that shape with my arm. But in the end, it's always a little bit different than at least a little bit different, if not completely different than what I yeah for sure internally yeah, I, imagined. I can relate to that, yeah. So and I and I don't know, like I, it's just a thought I had a couple of years ago. I haven't really dealt with it. I haven't had the time to confront it. It seems like a pretty heavy, big task somehow. It seems, it seems intimidating for me. But I'm wondering if other art forms, mm. you know, maybe dance has dealt with it or other types of, of visual performing maybe or even yeah yeah anyway yeah. um look look we got one more thing we got one more thing we got to talk about here and then i think we're done for season one but that is plagiarism so we're talking about performing and juggling and 
I mean, plagiarism was one topic we wanted to, to talk about here. And so why not uh, talk about plagiarism here now in the relationship to performing juggling? I think that's a very easy <laughs> uh, bridge to make. And I just want to say kind of a, uh, a blanket statement or like kind of a, a, a central idea about my opinion about plagiarism. And I mean, again, we can, we, we're going to have to maybe understand what it even means to to plagiarize instead of juggling and all of that stuff. But just in general, I can say it like this, look, the juggling community is so small that you can actually more or less access most of the members of the juggling community. Sure, there's different levels of friction to that. I mean, it's very easy for me to talk to you. We live in the same city and we see each other all the time. We work together. That's pretty easy to access you and maybe to access somebody you know, halfway around the world, who's in a different time zone, who isn't on the internet, that's a little bit harder. But still, it's not impossible. Um, it's not as if, you know, My Michael Motion, he's alive. That dude exists. You know, you can conceivably talk to him. Um, and so, but I, I still think I can generalize and say that the juggling community isn't uh, infinitely large. It's, it's a small group of people that are reasonably accessible and in this way you could just have a conversation with people so i see toby walker do this trick with clubs where he rolls it on his shoulder well you know what i can just search toby walker on facebook that's cool i can send him a message i can say hey toby what's up with that trick i think it's super cool do you mind if i do it or can i blah, blah, blah. like can i have a conversation with you about that trick and so in terms of you know, can you steal material? Can you not steal material? There is the spectrum of thought inside of juggling that spans from, no, juggling is not like magic. Juggling is free. Everything is free for each other. All of, there's no secrets. We all share everything, right? Like there, there is like a historical little relationship to magic in that way that magic is hidden and there's a secret and you're a member of the secret society and they mm. don't share. Mm. But jugglers are the opposite and they share freely. And, and if I do something, you can just do it and you don't have to ask me. And there's no no ownership, right? There's, that's like the free side of the spectrum. And the other side of the spectrum is, you know, you have friends. I have friends who make a juggling trick or concept or routine and they never show anybody. Why? Because someone might steal it. Someone might copy it. And then you, that's the other end of the spectrum, right? And then you, then you have that spectrum and most of us fall somewhere in the middle, I guess. That's not so extreme on either side. And so this idea of can you steal or not? Well, or yeah, or of course they don't call it stealing. <laughs> can we copy tricks or not? Can we freely use other ideas and concepts or not? Well, here's the thing. For me, at least, number one, I think you can have a conversation with people about it and it's, it can be very you don't need to have a draconian law that's just 100 percent of the time yes or no you can copy or not i can just call you or i can write you a letter or whatever we can talk about it that's cool oh toby didn't really want me to work on the club floppy shoulder roll for whatever reason but you know i wrote i wrote eric and he lets he wants me to do he, i, I want to do some head roll stuff that's cool like it can change. That's no problem. But there can be a conversation that we value as a community that we uphold that there could be a conversation. There's a desire for a conversation. That's just one proposal. 
And the other thing is this, that whatever you want to do in your bedroom, you can do as long as it's not hurting yourself or other people, right? I mean, I don't need to get into ethics and morals here and whatever, like philosophy, but in terms of juggling, whatever you want to do in your bedroom, go for it. So you want to build a triangle in your bedroom? That's cool. Go learn the triangle. And in fact, I think the thing is, I think you should. I think you should go learn all of Wes's tricks. Go to your basement and learn all of Wes's tricks. Good luck with that. <laughs> but what I mean is, in terms of the evolution of the community and the art form and the culture and all these things, um, I think it would be great that you could assimilate and understand internally all these techniques that exist so that you could then further your own process in terms of finding new or the, the next step or the next evolution of those ideas. So sure, I can maybe, maybe I should go to my bedroom and go alone in this room alone and I learn all your head roll tricks or whatever, hopefully with a conversation with you before that. That'd be nice, just as a, as a polite thing. But then the idea wouldn't be that I emerge from my bedroom and I just do those same things you did, but rather I learn them as the first step. And then the second step is there has to be another evolution of what I did there. So I learn your head roll techniques to kind of understand the intricacies of them and, you know, to really embody those, those ideas and movements and concepts. But then hopefully through that process of embodying what you did, I can also add my own idea to that and it will pop out something new that you didn't think of and you didn't see. And then you're going to come. And when I emerge from my bedroom, you see what I do. And then you say, oh, that's cool. I never thought of that. And that inspires me to keep going. And maybe those things are completely different from each other. But there's this, this iteration of creativity feeding back and forth on itself. And so I'll just say then that in your bedroom, you do whatever you want. As soon as you leave your bedroom, as soon as you go out into the public, I'm telling you, whether you want to or not, and whether you're aware of it or not, I'm telling you, you're part of a community. And that's just something you have to kind of deal with sometimes, whether you want to or not, whether you're aware of it. So you see, like, Wes will come out with a video every couple years, right? And on that video, he has a bunch of tricks. And every time he comes out with a video, you get one or two jugglers being like, oh, man but I was doing that trick like last year. I just didn't show anybody. And you go, okay, well, here's the conversation that you're stuck in. Sorry, this is the reality. Um, Wes put out this video. Everybody bought the video. Everybody saw Wes do it. Mm. Good luck for you to try to have this conversation in public and change public opinion. Not that they shouldn't and not that there isn't room for that, but I'm just saying that's the challenge because mm. you have to be aware of that Wes will now forever be the reference of that trick because that's probably where most people saw it first. And if you come out and do one of those tricks that was in Gumball, mm. and people are just going to go, oh, Wes's trick. Yeah. And, you can, and you can totally say, no, 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 no. That's not Wes's trick. I thought of that trick because I was watching ice skating videos and I dropped my ice cream and then I slipped and then I did a through the ball or whatever, right? Mm. You can have your own creation story. That's that's not invalid. But you at least have to recognize that moment that like people are gonna, that you're in a community. That's my only point. That right, as soon right, as you right. step out of your cave, you got to deal with that. Yeah, I've, I, 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 um, I agree with a lot of the stuff you're saying. I'm I'm so far removed personally from doing like tricks that are, you know, 
even with objects that other people use or or working on like sequences with with you know oh i could use so and so's trick or i i'm 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 pretty far removed from that at the moment so i i, I can't say i think too much about that but what i would i mean the obvious thing is like if everybody just takes juggling from that they've seen from other people it becomes stagnant very quickly well it's a closed loop it's a closed loop there and i've i've always like personally i've always admired the people that do creative things so that's what i've been aspiring to do myself but but i'm i'm trying also to see this from the perspective of let's say someone who's just juggling for fun like a hobby juggler and they see uh, see some performing jugglers or professional jugglers trick let's say and they learn it and they do it in the gym at the IJA mm-hmm. what, what what difference does that they, sure, sure, sure. They, they don't aspire to be a professional they're not well maybe this running. maybe this idea of I mean all these analogies mm. and these metaphors like your cave or your bedroom maybe it's it's broader than that, that literal mm. image you know yeah and I, and I think it's a really hard conversation to have in terms of um, let's let's think about the history of juggling that you know so much about, um, you know, your career could be made as the pirouette person. Right. Yeah. That was like a valuable thing. Like, oh, I'm kind of known for doing pirouettes, right? Wasn't that, isn't that like a real example? Yeah. 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 So your your livelihood would depend on maybe being having a unique technique. Yeah. It's not the case anymore. It's very, very rare mm-hmm. that you're being hired to perform a certain technical feat or even, not. let's not even say technical, but just like a certain maneuver or a certain trick or whatever, yeah. creative or not, or whatever, however you want to frame that quality. Um, it's just like, so it's really hard to, generally it's very hard, especially if you're talking about a singular trick, it's very hard to talk about the loss of income from a professional or if somebody goes out there and does that, Oh man, I was yeah. I don't know. I don't even know what to, I can't even give like a fake example. I mean, a good example is the copying of the, the triangle or the bounce piano from Dan Menendez, yeah. where you could probably way more easily. Well, I can make I can make a, a very first hand argument about the triangle, which was that you know, they asked Michael if he could come do, the triangle in Vegas at Circus Circus, and he said no, and then Rajon St. Jules said, well, I'll do it. <laughs> and then Rajon St. Jules did it. Like, well, okay, that's a pretty clear... I mean, of course, then you can start to say, well, Michael said no. But he also, by the way, didn't say it was cool that Rajan did it. Um, but there would be potentially income that was going to Rajan against, you know, Michael's will because specifically because of that one image or technique. So sure, I get it. If, some, if somebody's a hobbyist and they want to go to the gym at the IJA or local festival or the park or whatever, and they want to do your your head roll trick or Wes's trick or whatever. I, I don't care. I don't think it's a... What I do care, though, is the indifferent... Again, this is this is back from a previous episode. Now we're going far back, but I think it's an, it does annoy me to the, not to the end of like, oh, man, you stole Eric's trick. You can't do that, like morally or ethically. I don't think that's the case. I just think it's sad for the culture that you can't have that conversation with Eric or you can't even value that that would be something you would consider to be useful in the culture. Because again, for me growing up, to understand the evolution of where tricks come from and where they go, it would be so fun. It'd be so cool. And then and then I've heard the argument said, you know, like, it's impossible. Every person who should want to do Eric's head rule has to talk to Eric. There's no time for that. 
And maybe that's true. So maybe that's the wrong uh, way to express that quality. But what I'm talking about <laughs> is just how you value and how you curate and how you relate to the technique as a community. I think it's it's could we could have a discussion about it. That's all I want is to have some sort of open-minded like like can, like what are we actually doing here? Because right now we're we're at the same place with plagiarism as we are, as we are with everything else in juggling. It's it's not, it has not been discussed, it has not been untangled. You know, it's just it's just there through happenstance. That's how mm. that's how it goes. Right. Yeah. I'll I have a couple of things, a couple of reflections on this. Like my, there, there's a couple of aspects to like doing someone else's juggling. Let's say, mm-hmm. like there's the, there's of course like the the professional aspect of it. Like okay, you're now doing, right, what someone else's act, and you're getting paid for it. That that has a specific feeling, I think, because we all know how difficult it is to be a professional juggler. So maybe. Th- there, there, there's something in me there that I feel like that's that lacks respect. I think, mm. in terms of a hobby juggler who is, you know, performing for his, oh, he's he's juggling for his own, you know, entertainment in the park and in the gym and at the club or whatever. I can't really say I I care. Like the aspect that I care there that they would do someone else's juggling, I would. I would be like, okay, well, you're not contributing to the to the field by doing someone else's mm. juggling, but I don't. That yeah. that's not something that bothers me. That's just mm-hmm. m- more of an observation mm-hmm. that okay, like this is not evol- It's not evolving because of you. Yeah, yeah. Just as an observation, which is which is fine. That's maybe not their desire. Yeah. To do that, they just see a trick that they l- think look like fun, so they do it. Sure, sure. That's positive, I think, just in terms of that. That's fine. Sure. Um, but the the question that be- that I would ask is it's again this thing about you know distinguishing yourself through your juggling, mm-hmm. even if it's a hobby. Is that is that an interest of yourself? Mm. And if you're, if that is an interest, then you are building some kind of false identity. If you're just taking material from other places, mm-hmm. uh, but I don't think there's a difference there between doing, you know, some famous jugglers' tricks or any trick that you didn't sure. invent. I mean, it's just, the result is the same. You're sure, sure, sure. It, it's stu- it's just a mess in terms of how we approach it with the attitude of the community, where it's like. Um, like I said, so I'm gonna teach you how to do three balls. Yeah, and there's just never any discussion of uh, of another way to go. Of yeah. just like, and now the next thing you do is you can make your own trick. That would have just changed my world. Right. It'd be so fun that there would be. I don't know. I just imagine. And again, maybe that's not the right way to go. But I think there's a discussion to be had around it. Yeah. That we could cultivate these qualities that we want to have instead of this being like. Well, you just copy a bunch of tricks at the beginning. That's built in. That's built in from the beginning of you learning to juggle. Yeah. You learn this pattern from someone that someone else made. You learn all these other patterns that someone else made, and then at some point we get mad at you for doing patterns someone else made. But that's very ambiguous <laughs> when that limit is, and in what context, and in what way. I just think it's kind of silly. 
how yeah. it is right now. I mean, I have a very personal experience of this specifically because I invented something that is now known as a specific like Japanese style of juggling. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's when you have balls and you kind of make mm. shapes like that. Uh-huh. Uh, because I invented... I made a sequence like that that was about a minute long, and this was in the early 2000s. Then I would perform at places and stuff. And I showed that to a Japanese juggler called Masaki mm-hmm. when I met him in Las Vegas in 2005. And he and I lo- I taught him the sequence. Yeah. Like, so it was my choice. Yeah. He saw me do it. He was... He thought it was amazing and he wanted to learn it. So I taught it to him move by move. Yeah. And then he went back to Japan and he taught that sequence to Komei. Mm-hmm. And he emailed me back and said that they were having so much fun with this. And this was amazing. And this was fantastic. Mm-hmm. And now they were developing that. Mm-hmm. Now, so that like I'm not performing that sequence any longer but that style like it became it became a little style that is pretty easily recognizable mm-hmm. and of course nobody knows that i'm the originator of that mm-hmm. like that's just not known and if even like it has even happened to me that I, just for fun like in some festival i would you know i bust out that little sequence and i've even had people come up to me and be like oh you're doing that japanese style mm-hmm. you know because they don't know i mm-hmm. i was never that is just lost in the in the in the culture because we don't have a clear way to attach our name to some specific invention. It's not like we make a painting and we can sign our name on it. Can you see some sort of though you know used to having that? I mean, what would be the benefit of having your name on that? I don't know because like I'm it's I'm ambivalent about it because if it would have just been me doing that sequence, I know I would have stopped doing it. It would yeah. just be gone. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if it's on film anywhere. I mean, I know I performed it at, in some of the versions in a show that I performed in Finland called Louisiana Circus. Uh-huh. And that might be somewhere online or some clip of that. Well, I got a film of that show. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah, you can you can see if it, there might, it might be in there. I know that it was in one, one version, but then right. I forget if, if we cut it or if it was something we added on. Mm-hmm. But that's the only, like, I also know I did it in, like, early 531 festivals. Mm-hmm. And I th- I can still do that at least half of the sequence. I can show you at some point mm-hmm. and you'll recognize it immediately. Yeah. But, so I know that if, if, if it hadn't gotten to Japan, it would just be gone. And right. I would have probably forgotten about it by now. I mean, the, the reason why I remember it is because I see Japanese people all the time that do not my sequence anymore. I mean, that's gone. Like, but but do that style because it's very visually, uh, st- it stands out very visually. It's very easy easy to identify. Mm. So I'm like I'm now I'm I, I don't I feel like I've gotten recognition for the other stuff. So that's not something that I'm personally hungry for. Mm-hmm. Would I be sad if I was recognized for that? As like, oh, this is something that, you know, so and Eric, mm-hmm. you know, originated or whatever. Yeah, that, I'd be happy for that. But I can't say, like, I'm yeah. getting sleepless nights <laughs> for it. Sure. And also, just to say, I'm what I'm getting back, though, is I'm getting back, you know, because people are still exploring that style. Sure. And I'm getting that back every time I see that. I'm getting like, oh, look what they did with with what I did. Mm. And that's pretty cool. Yeah. 
but then it's variations and and yeah. elaborations on what I did. So I guess we're leaving th- th- that topic a little bit, like because mm-hmm. you were saying, like you can if you see something that you really like, can't you change something about it? Yeah. Usually you can if yeah. you spend a little bit of thinking of it, so you have at least some little twists. I'm just saying. I mean, yeah. I mean, just to say really again, really clearly. I, there's no right or wrong. I mean, you can look at other art forms. There's systems in place for music to deal with this. There's monetary systems in place. I mean, in terms of copyright and sampling and whatever, right? I, I don't know. I'm not yeah. familiar. But there's, this is not a, a, a new problem. And it's not only specific to juggling. And there's lots of different ways you can look around society with how different art forms, whatever, deal with it. And but it's just one of these other things that inside of juggling, we haven't had a clear discussion or a clear agreement or even a clear investigation of what these different things mean. Yeah. It's just been a really blatant like argument on one hand of like, everything's free. And on the other hand, you know, I'm not going to show anybody this thing. Yeah. It's so weird. And all I'm saying is like, I re- this is just a, yet another topic I wish we could all have a big discussion about. And I wish there was a central place to have a discussion about it in a, a calm considered manner to lay out some different proposals and have like a talk about it. It's not about morals or ethics. It's about our, it's about our relationship to our art form as a community. Yeah. That's what it's about. And it's just yet another thing that feels not to be negative, but just kind of feels hopeless at this point in terms of. There's one more thing that I think I want to add because it's not just about like I'm doing someone else's material. That's one thing. And I, I, from my perspective, I've always thought that it is fun to know where things come from. That's what I mean. And I, it's fun to know. Yeah. It's interesting to know what the origin of certain patterns are and styles and, and all, this, all this stuff. Like, that's always been something that I have had a personal interest in. What surprises me is that there's people, well, first of all, people who don't care at all for that. Okay, that's fine. You don't care, mm. whatever. But there's all also people who deliberately try to kind of mm-hmm. deliberately try to wipe over the <laughs> the the history and the the, yeah, yeah. the origin of things. Right. Like you know that they know where these things come from, and still they mm-hmm. like, oh, okay, I see you're doing that person's whatever thing. Yeah. And they're like, no, oh, oh, just a little bit, you know, they try to cover it up or I hadn't seen that or you say it's or they say it's not important or yeah that's not that's not something we should care about and yeah like, okay and it's just go back to that that thing of Toby Walker watching the baton twirler it was so fun when he said oh I got this trick from watching a baton twirler yeah that's interesting and then I, well not not because of that trick I don't care but because I can go watch baton twirling and <laughs> yeah. find a million more tricks yeah, yeah it was right. just so fun to have a culture that's alive with some feedback like that like a, a living organism that has like a uh, yeah, a positive feedback loop that kind of keeps generating new and positive things. So, hey, hey, look, look, let's shout out Sean McKinney and let's turn this off. All right. <laughs>